I'm doing another podcast. Terrific. Why? Well, because I love podcasts. Because it's available to me. Because everybody should be doing one. Because the struggle, the battle, the process, whatever you want to call it, never ends. Because I want you to come to my Toronto class. And even if you can't come to it, I want you to hear this. Because it's going to be a book one day. It's gonna, And I'm going to come to your city one day. And I'm going to teach you, or I'm going to coach you, or... Maybe go out for drinks with you, you know? So, of course, I'm doing another one. They're super fun. They're easy. It's low-hanging fruit. You should do one, too. Something that I learned recently, um, last year in class, I was in a Meisner class here in Toronto, led by an actor and a teacher named Sean Benson. And it was just... Uh, one of those classes that come along and a teacher that come along right at the right time, you know, and you just soak it all up. And the learning curve is so steep. You're just getting so much out of it. And not just from the teacher, but from your cohort, the other students in the class, almost to a person, except for Patrick, we're all half my age. It's amazing the collagen levels that in your 20s. Hey, I had kind of forgotten. I mean, I never look back and think, oh, I miss that body I had in my 20s. It certainly wasn't an improvement over this old thing. Uh, But I wasn't a guy. I was always sort of that skinny guy who got bored at the gym and just stood around watching TV or staring at girls, probably. Not probably, definitely. Anyway, in this class, the young people weren't, were not only beautiful, but self-possessed in a good way, grounded for the most part, talented, hardworking. They looked at me like, ew, a mature student. And I remember doing that to old people, but whatever, we all have our crosses to bear. After years of trashing millennials, I think whatever the generation's called that is uh, subsequent to them, I think we're going to be fine. These people in their 20s these days are really good. Now, my sample size is small, but I have been um, increasing it because now I have some of those same Gen Zers or whatever they're called in my class, and um, they're just terrific people. I hope they start having babies. I like babies. Anyway, I learned an amazing lesson from this one actress that I was working with. I was complaining about, uh, and this exercise in class is called Doors and Activities. I bet it has a couple different names throughout the Meisner world. Meisner, for those who don't know, is like this repetition technique or... uh, Is it a technique, school of thought, school of practice? I don't know. You repeat the words because the words aren't important. It's the behavior that's important. So you just use the same words over and over again, kind of meaningless words. You know, you look at your your scene partner. If they're wearing a, a red sweater, you say red sweater. And the other person says red sweater back to you. 
And you do that back and forth, back and forth for ages. Red sweater, red sweater, red sweater, red sweater, red sweater. Until you get, until you engage the subconscious, until you're in a state of flow, until you're not paying attention to the words, until you're outside of your head, until you're in your body, I immediately became present. I said in in the first class, I said, I'm here because I need to practice being present. I'm in my head too much and it's ruining everything. And um, first class, I was immediately present. The problem was gone. It's it, it's always the simplest things, hey, that you start doing and you go, oh man, yes, this is it. It's always the simplest things that that uh, expose a genius, you know, like um, like that Picasso sculpture. What is it? It's like a bicycle instead of a bicycle seat. It's like the skeleton, the skull of a cow or something. And you just think, well, I could have done that. But you didn't. Picasso did. That's why he's a genius. It's the simple, not the complex, but the simple story well told that resonates. That's my favorite kind of genius. And that's why I love Meisner is because you think, well, I could have, Jesus, I could have come up with repetition. But I didn't. It was, it was Sanford Meisner who did it. So this Doors and Activities exercise is where one person comes through a door and they, have, um, they, they are in a certain state. They've made a decision about why they're coming through that door and they're going after an object, objective. And then the person inside the room has to complete an activity and can't let the other person uh, stop them. And so it's two people with uh, divergent um, agendas at odds with each other trying to win. And I didn't like it. And I was talking to this actor about it and how I didn't like it and I wasn't good about it, uh, good at it. And of course, there's probably a correlation between those two. And she said, yeah, I wasn't good at it either until I just decided that I would, I would be good at it. And now I just tell myself, I'm great at this. It, it jogged something in my memory that we have this kind of power, that we have this kind of control. We don't have control over much in life, but we do have control of how we respond to things, especially adversity. And as usual, the responses get better with practice as long as we're practicing it in the right way for us. Being an adult is one of my least favorite things in life. I don't want to be a kid again. I was confused and awkward. And as, as, as good as I had it with the parents I was allotted and the house in the nice neighborhood... I still don't look back uh, and, and, and want th- those days of innocence. But what, but, but what I'm sick of is all the adult stuff that adults have to take care of. The systems put in place in our modern society is enough to make me check out and become a back-to-the-lander survivalist on um, a remote Gulf Island in the Salish Sea except for the fact that I'm not handy at all, you know? 
I can barely work a hammer. But when she said, this uh, fellow student in this class, that I just decided to tell myself that I'm great at this thing that I'm not, it made me go, I can do this. I can try that. And in fact, when you, we change self-talk or any other practice, any other um, behavioral pattern within us, we immediately we do two things. We open up our brain to doing it more, and we also um, push ourselves out of that tiny neurolingual lingual pathway, that little wagon wheel rut that we've created in our brain. What seems at first insurmountable becomes completely possible. And you can apply this to to every facet of your life. Anything that you don't want to do, if you start saying to yourself, I'm great at this, you dispel the myth that you're bad at it. And also, the thing becomes more enjoyable to do. You can do this with taxes, with bookkeeping, with cleaning, with... um, relational issues with people that you, I don't know, feel low self-esteem around. You can just flip it. I mean, it can't hurt to try. You can always go back to your old way of doing things later. You're an expert at that already. It will always be there for you. But but changing the self-talk around it is such an easy thing to do. All you have to do is remember. You won't always remember if you're anything like me in the heat of the moment, you go back to your old behavior. And then you'll follow that up, if you're anything like me, with with, uh, trash-talking yourself. So go ahead and trash-talk yourself. Go ahead, and you can't stop yourself from doing that. That'll always be there for you. But write it down on your to-do list, the trash talking. And then once you've done it for a good five minutes, then cross it out on your to-do list so you don't have to do it anymore. Then gently remind yourself to go back to the, oh yeah, I'm great at this. Until you are. I mean, you certainly won't get great at it if you keep telling yourself you're bad at it and you hate doing it. It's better than saying, using an entry point of, I, I like doing this. No one likes bookkeeping. Even bookkeepers, I don't think, like it. But if you say to yourself, I'm great at bookkeeping, it will at least shorten the bookkeeping because you'll do it regularly and you won't let it pile up until it becomes a huge ball of pain that, um, you know, it's been like three months since I've done any bookkeeping. Honestly, that's why I keep mentioning it because it's at the forefront of my mind. And I heard myself the other day, my 10-year-old was complaining about not having having any money. And um, try finding a 10-year-old work. These child labor laws are punitive. Anyway, I heard myself say to him, well, if you organize my receipts, I'll pay you. So now I'm resorting to a child to do something that I should do. You've got to keep, you've got to um, pay attention to the, to the inputs and outputs of your finances. But we let the stuff we don't want to do stack up until the pain of avoiding it um, supersedes the pain of, of, of the thing in the first place. A great way in is to say, you don't have to say, I like doing it. Just try saying, 
I'm great at doing this. It'll change everything. Turn towards the adversity. It's not as bad as you think. Let's take a quick break. For more pearls, uh, don't forget to sign up for my free newsletter at boldacting.substack.com. Then go to boldacting.com to learn more about my Monday night classes here in Toronto. Email me at jasonbryden at gmail.com to reserve your spot. Or give me feedback on the podcast. This does not include my father. I put out a lot of videos every week on um, my strong opinions on performance technique and other things. You can find them on Instagram. Follow me at at Jason Bryden of Canada. You can find me on Facebook. Um, I think I'm Jason Bryden of Canada there too. I don't actually understand Facebook, nor do I like it. Uh, and on YouTube, I also put videos up there, youtube.com slash Jason Bryden. Not the ticks and the talks, because I don't, I don't like that one. I put some up there, but I don't get it. And um, hopefully they'll ban that thing soon anyways. Recently, uh, I did a coaching with an actor in, uh, out in the prairies who was coming up on, a, on an opening night, and uh, they asked me how best to take care of a younger actor that was getting a little tight as opening night approached. Not take care of in the Russian mafia sense, just to take care of. And they were, their nerves were setting in. They didn't have a lot of experience compared to the actor I was coaching. And I suggested two things. One thing, I told him to make your scenes with this younger actor like a conversation. Like sneak up on them. Slide into them. You're, you're just talk to each other. Forget about the audience. Talk to each other. Affect each other. You don't have to hit the back of the... It doesn't take a lot to hit the back of the room. We get up on stage or in front of a classroom or in front of our employees and we tighten up. We do weird things with our bodies. We, st- we don't know what to do with our hands. We start rocking back and forth on our heels like psychopaths. Just start your presentation out in the hallway. Just start talking out there before you can even see anybody. Same with th- this actor. Just talk to each other. And then it's just a matter of dialing up some volume later. When you do finally get that audience in there, it's additive. They want you to succeed. So the nerves, really, we can reframe them as excitement because there's a whole bunch of, we get a whole bunch more support on opening night. The second thing, once you've made it a conversation, once you've made it casual, the second thing is to to not have an opening night. This isn't a final performance. This isn't a a PowerPoint presentation you're giving where the stakes are high and everything's on the line. It's just another practice run. It's just in a different venue. Practice like an Olympian. Olympians don't um, come to the Olympics and then have a final race or or the big match or um, this is the first time I've run the marathon or whatever they're doing another practice run, that which they have practiced a thousand times before. They're just doing it in a different venue. 
And this time there's a whole bunch of people there wanting them to do well. So it's actually better. It's easier. The, the big game should be easier because there's all that energy focused at you wanting you to do well. No one's sitting there wanting you to, to, to fail in your presentation or in your stage play or in your audition. Everybody wants you to do well. So just reframe what it means, that the finality of a performance. Why are we building up to this thing? And does it serve us to be incapacitated by our nerves? Make everything just a conversation, just like you're talking to a person that you can trust. And then practice, 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 every day, every day, every day. So when you get to the final thing, the big presentation, it's just another practice day. You can't fail when you're making art. In my industry, the entry point is auditioning, which, which used to consist of going into a room. Now it's self-taping, which means you're at home. And a lot of the time, 99.9% of the time maybe, you send an audition out and you never hear anything back. At least when we were auditioning in the room, you might get some feedback. I mean, you might. A lot of the times it was just a, Okay, thanks. And you just say, okay, yeah, great, that was fun. And then you walk out too. I mean, I think looking back actors have a propensity to romanticize how good auditions were in the past. I never liked them. I much prefer self-tape, except that you send them out into the void and then you never hear anything. Like you don't even hear a few. I don't want to hear anything from my agent. If, and I make every single audition a piece of art. Um, a, a work of art. I do. Every single one is a beautiful short film that I am proud of. And then I never hear anything back. And that is hard. However, you can't fail if you're making art. You can't blow a self-tape. You just can't. You try, try, try stuff. And then when you get um, something that you like, then you know you're onto something. So with the self-taping, you got all the time in the world, which is a good or a bad thing. You're the director, the actor, the sound department, the lighting, the editing. You're in complete control. In an industry where actors have no control, this, is, this, this has to be a good thing. And, and yet the result is none of our business. So we focus on the things within our purview. The rest can eat a dick. Every single self-tape is a short film. Now we're well-versed in making short films. We're learning stuff. And granted, everything seems way harder than it was when I was young and, up and, and coming up, but it's all relative. If this is the only experience you've had, then our young people are going to be fine. It's the oldsters like me that are going to complain. But if you just keep in mind that you can't fail if you're making art, it's not called failure, it's called trying. Hashtag set life. There is this thing on social media where um, actors will post the requisite photo of them hanging out outside or inside their trailer in what's called the circus, which is all the, all the trailers, the makeup, the hair, the, 
the crafty, the catering, all the actors' trailers. And the lower down the call sheet you are, the smaller the sliver of a trailer you get. If you're in the top five or six or whatever, you get half a trailer. If you're down on number 10 or 11 or 12 or 13 or lower, you get one sliver of a six-banger, what they call it. And they, di- they divide a long trailer up into six tiny little cubicles. And it sucks. But it's become emblematic of success. As a day player gets a day or two on a film or a TV show, and then they'll photo, uh, take a photo of themselves in, in or around a trailer to show everyone that they're doing great. Actor's life, hashtag actor's life, hashtag set life. And I just think it's social media's fault that this has become the marker of, I'm doing great, guys. Is the goal really to get yourself a couple days in a rented trailer? Normally, when you end up in a motorhome, it's because a hurricane has taken your real home. But for actors, it's all about that requisite photo. Surely, we haven't worked this hard so we can brag about what would normally be emergency accommodations. I think what's important to learn is that, um, to remember, is that if it feels braggy, it is. And we know that it's competitive out there. But what if we, you know, if we're not going to get rid of social media, what if our posts were... um, more about the creative process. And then, if you're taking photos of your creative process, um, what does that say about your process? And then, when you realize that your process, that your focus on craft, is being distracted by you taking photos of you supposedly working hard, then maybe we would stop gradually, altogether, bragging on social media about all of our accomplishments. And we would just want to keep memorizing those lines, keep reading those scripts, keep reading those books, keep working out, keep collaborating with people, keep making plays. Choose your worries. What are you worrying about these days? I would argue that if your worries are too big or too small, they're not worth your time. For instance, Worries that are too big. Climate change, politics, the economy. Will worrying about any of these things help? Will it change anything? I would argue, no. It won't help you, and it will only change you. It will change your mood to the worse. Things that are too small to worry about. Your appearance. What people think of you. Expectation. There is no don't worry, just like there is no be happy. We're going to worry, so worry about the things that really matter. Worry creatively so that you can come up with the solution you need to help you in your career or your relationships. Become a discriminating worrier 
Write down your worries. Cancel out the ones that are too big or too small. Take the ones in the middle and really fucking worry about them. Focus on them. Practice having laser-like focus on your concerns. Come up with solutions. Work on those solutions. Notice how ephemeral your worries are. How once you solve one problem, your brain finds something else in an instant to worry about. So once we realize that the worries will be here day in and day out for us, we can stop taking them so seriously. Want more than just an acting class? Sign up for a free audit of my Toronto Scene Study class. They run Mondays 6 to 9 in Bloordale, in the greatest city in the world, Toronto, Ontario. Email me to reserve your spot. You can write me at jasonbryden at gmail.com. Also, get my free newsletter, boldacting.substack.com. That's boldacting.substack.com. It's a free weekly five-minute read reflecting on all that we learned in class and more. And visit my website for more information on all that I do at boldacting.com. I'm also available for one-on-one personal coaching and executive coaching for your organization. Just drop me a line at Jason Bryden, that's J-A-S-O-N, B-R-Y-D-E-N, at gmail.com. That's Jason Bryden at gmail.com. And if you feel so inclined, please rate and review this podcast. It goes a long way to getting the word out. And I need you to get the word out. Thanks for listening. Talk soon.